Welcome to Phone Booth Fighting, everybody, your twice-weekly podcast of record hosted by myself, Richard Hunter, and him, Frank Mir, coming to you, as always, from stately Mir Manor in suburban Las Vegas. Frank just got done getting a haircut over in the corner. I thought only the rappers did that. I thought they always have, like, the... the, the the barber come into the house and everything. Uh, fighters too. We get that privilege. Well, actually, that it just works out because Rachel's. Uh, uh, I don't know what the expression would be. I guess a daughter-in-law of sorts. Oh, know. I thought we were trying to search for the profession. I was going to go with with hairstylist. Yeah, hairstylist yeah. works too. I was just trying okay. to think of the relation. Right. Well. Oh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Uh, you know, Braden, our, our grandson. You know, yes. Uh, that's the mom. Yes. Yeah. And she is a great haircut. And, yeah. Uh, so she always comes over and. So, Grandbaby mama. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you know, I've got a I've got a similar deal at my house. And uh That's true because your yeah. significant other is Yes. Yeah, Jennifer is a hairstylist and do you know that uh my mother, who is also my accountant, told me when we got together, she handles like she does my taxes and all that kind of stuff, and she said for the amount of money that I previously spent on uh, haircuts and hairstyling and hair products and all that because really? it's, you got to get. A, I mean, I know it's long. it's well, it's deceptive because it it actually takes a lot of effort and expense to look this homeless. You know, a lot of people <laughs> think this is just a devil may care look, but it's uh, carefully orchestrated. My mother told me that by getting together with Jennifer, I saved more money dating someone in her profession than probably just about anything else that I regularly spent money on. That works. Yeah. Especially since usually dating costs a lot. Of exactly. Money. I mean, it'd be You're like... You're actually ahead of the curve there, man. Yeah. It'd be like being a, uh, a, a recurring felon and dating a lawyer or something like there that. You know, it really comes in handy. I'll tell you what comes in handy uh, for all your phone booth fighting fashion needs is the website known as phoneboothfightingshop.com, folks. Phoneboothfightingshop.com is where you get your uh, official phone booth fighting merchandise, t-shirts, multiple designs, multiple colors, autograph fight posters. We've got those up. Uh, the uh, special vintage uh, fight style poster that our uh, artist over in the UK, Ross Chester, sketched out for us, did a great job with his uh, Boss Creations label on that. If you uh, would like to check that stuff out, go to phoneboothfightingshop.com. we got a 20% off sale going right now on our latest t-shirt design, and they ship directly out of our fulfillment center known as My Garage. And uh, I tell you what, Hunter I, headquarters. Yeah, it is, and uh, I'll tell you a little secret to my uh, success of dealing with the the postal service, the U.S. Postal Service. First of all, we're headed toward we're going to need a enhanced operation in there. This is this deal of me dry, loading up the envelopes in the Prius and driving them to the post office is probably not long for this world because demand is rapidly increasing. But up until now, I've stuffed the envelopes myself. T-shirts go in, and then I drive them to the post office. Now, you and I just live a couple of miles from each other, and these these post offices around here tend to be heavily populated, especially during the day with the retiree 
you know, who's usually got a bunch of stuff to send to their grandchildren and they're in no particular hurry to get through the line. So I learned my lesson about that. But um, driving out to the brothels every day, I go through a little one-horse, one-stoplight town called Indian Springs. It's the only town in between Las Vegas and uh, where the brothels are. And it's, uh, it's got a post office. So there's a little post office out there in Indian Springs, and I stop in there because the town itself has next to no population, so a lot of times there's no line. That being said, I have to be the most exotic client that comes in there on any given day because I've got a box of envelopes that are going off to Ireland and Australia and Sweden, and, and sometimes it confuses You probably have been a lot of their firsts. Probably so, and it shows. Because sometimes they have to get out like manuals and try to figure out how to go to certain countries and everything. You know something that drives me crazy? There's a lady that works That's at that. That's not on the computer? Well, they have a computer. Of course, I'm not, they're on the other side of the counter, so I'm not really seeing what they're doing. But they're just kind of pecking at it, you know? And the whole thing goes very slow. Life, life goes by very so slowly does in it Indian go- Springs. I can see this going one of two ways. Either A, you're a nuisance at this guy. Yeah. Or B, it's like, all right, man. You know, we sit here all day and just kind of the same stuff over and over again. And you pose new issues and just kind of like, all right, let's yeah. figure this out. I don't think it's really either or. Yeah. I don't think it's that they're particularly excited to see me. I don't think they're particularly upset to see me. It's more just their very laid back pace met with the fact that I only have so much time to stand there and go through this before I have to get out to the desert and start wrangling it's hookers. Like that. What's you know, that I'm on the clock. That just came out. Uh, Jennifer, what's the movie with the rabbit and the fox and the sloth, you know, the DMV? Zootopia. Have you oh, seen the Zootopia no. yet? No. Okay, when we're done, I'm going to show you a clip from Zootopia. Okay. You're going to laugh your ass off. Okay. Because there is a lady at that Indian Springs post office. She's slow to begin with, but get this. For some reason, she wears actual wrist weights. She's wearing wrist weights. You sure they're not like some corrective for like carpal tunnel syndrome? Well, maybe, but I mean, they're 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 basically like bracelets, and they clearly have lead weights in them. So oh. maybe it's some kind of therapy. I don't know, but I just thought to myself, oh, 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 the irony. Of the fact that this person is slow to begin with, and she is she's actually weighed herself down for this process. So uh, I just I, I put that out there because uh, I want everybody to know that each and every one of your uh, merchandise order packages is mailed with uh, a lot of loving care from uh, your friends here at Phone Booth Fighting. Phone Booth Fighting Shop. One friend for t-shirts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, we got a lot to get to on the show. We're going to talk to Shannon Knapp, uh, Invicta FC president. Very nice lady. I always like talking to Shannon, and uh, Invicta FC returns to action this Saturday night on UFC's Fight Pass, Invicta 21 from Kansas City, Missouri on Saturday. So we'll be talking to Shannon here in a little bit. we got some MMA news to get into, uh, big news being made in the UFC in the legal sense. I uh, didn't really see this one coming. It involves a former opponent of yours, Frank, we have to talk about. And uh, we also have a fight night card coming up this weekend. So we'll get around to, uh, to all that. Let's talk about uh, the UFC's uh, lawsuit that they... <laughs> 
They, it appears that they're facing from your most recent opponent, Frank. Were you surprised to see this, this Mark Hunt uh, filing a lawsuit against the UFC, Dana White, and Brock Lesnar, alleging racketeering, conspiracy, and fraud, all centering around uh, Brock Lesnar's pair of positive drug tests coming out of UFC 200. But as we now know, Lesnar was given an exemption from normal USADA mm-hmm. testing and things like that. Um, I mean, Hunt's been very vocal about this stuff, even to the point that in his most recent fight, he uh, or, or proposed fight, the one that he's supposed to have coming up in March with Alistair Overeem, he wanted a clause in the contract that said he could get all of the purse if Alistair Overeem tested positive. And so now it's a very strange circumstance of an active fighter who's got a fight booked in a couple of months that I guess is going to be involved in simultaneous ongoing litigation with the UFC. What do you think? Yeah, no, um, had this happened before he was booked to fight Alistair, I don't think I would have been as surprised by it, but the fact that he has an active, you know, bout agreement going and he's scheduled to fight, you would think that'd be very strange. Uh, if he, I mean, obviously there's a lot of wheels turning and a lot of gears and everything involved, uh, to help him out with this lawsuit. So in one sense, he was setting up a lawsuit, but then he takes a fight. I would think that that would be uh, stressful in itself to to be trying to uh, play both fields. But uh, as far as now that he doesn't have the fight, but just the fact he did it makes sense to me. I mean, I kind of on the the, the first initial look at it feel that he kind of does have a case against Brock or the UFC. For the reason being that they uh, they made an exemption for a, pro- a program they had that you are supposed to. We just saw most recently with Angela Hill. If you enter back into competition as a UFC fighter and you're not a new signee, there's a four-month testing protocol period where you are not allowed to fight. That way, in case you're somebody, you can't just take off, get out of the UFC, juice up, come down on the, you know, so now you have an off season mm-hmm. where you're not being tested and then come back in and then, you know, okay, well I'm, I'm here now. Let me fight in 30, 45 days. Sort of quote unquote retire and then come back when everything's okay. Right. Yeah. And so then you clear your system and mm-hmm. then go ahead and go fight. And you know, if you do that within a month, like, you know, you're going to have the benefits of whatever drugs you took. And, and I'm assuming the four month period, the reason why they make it so long is because, Whatever drugs you took at that moment, four months later, are not going to really help you out. Mm-hmm. And so um, the UFC are the ones that made that exemption to help Brock get into that fight. And they benefited from that exemption, having, having such a you know, large name, uh, you know, blockbuster, or the Brock Lesnar is as a pay-per-view uh, seller, mm-hmm. to be on the card. So now they reaped benefits and, and made an exemption. They took a risk. Well, you know... Hunt, um, you know, was hurt by that. You know, it, he found out he fought somebody who was on drugs that was enhanced. Uh, he suffered a loss. He says that he suffered injuries from it. Um, so his, their decision to do so had repercussions upon him. Um, they can say that they tested him 30 times up until the fight, that they really tried. It's like, you really, but you still altered, you made an exemption, and Hunt suffered from that exemption where's your suffering? Yeah. You know, did you compensate Mark in some way going, look, we apologize for what happened. Mm-hmm. Here's an extra half million, seven and a half, whatever, you know, uh, 
to to put some skin in the game, I guess, is basically the term I'm looking for here. Yeah. Um, they made an exemption and, and don't have to suffer any of the repercussions of that decision. They didn't have to walk in that octagon with Brock. And they got the benefit of having all the pay-per-view sales and all the marketing leading up to making UFC 200 such a large card, which was a very pivotal moment for them because that was their last hurrah right before they sell the uh, yeah. UFC. So it was very uh, in their benefit to have Brock have a huge name especially I mean remember Conor McGregor was supposed to be on there he they pull him off because he doesn't want to do press they were starving to have a name and so uh they obviously through necessity made it happen and so how could he not have a case you know what is striking to me in retrospect as I think about it and the way that whole thing that whole scenario played out around UFC 200 because you're right Conor McGregor was pulled off because he wasn't going to do media and he didn't come in for the press conference so they're absent a headliner then they scramble to get Brock back uh, in the mix and they give him the USADA exemption but you know it seems like especially given that they had spent so much money uh, uh, such a huge financial investment on that USADA program that they kind of undermined all that they with did. that exemption. It's kind of like if you... I think this is also, too, is showcasing why they need to get rid of USADA. Hmm. They're opening themselves up because there, the UFC now has brought in USADA. It's their contract with USADA. Mm-hmm. They work hand-in-hand. Jeff Nowinski works there inside Zufa building. He's the representative that works back and forth with USADA. Who, you know, so... If they just would have had this be a commission deal, mm-hmm. they could dodge this all completely altogether. If it was only the Nevada Athletic Commission that had given exemption or tested, how could the UFC be on the hook at all right now through litigation? Yeah. They'd, yeah. they'd be completely bulletproof right now. I'd be yeah. like, well, we don't deal with that. That's Nevada Athletic Commission. They are the ones that do the testing. They are the ones that deal with this. And, I, and I'm a fan of that anyways because – they don't have a, you know, in my opinion, a, you know, a dog in the race, you know, yeah. because they're there, the commission, they make money, the UFC comes in, they pay their licensing fees. Even if they fine you, they don't have a benefit. So their business structure is not based upon drug testing, whereas USADA is completely based upon drug testing. So I think it's a conflict of interest, uh, in my opinion. Um, so and also too, just it makes it toward the UFC where at first you think it's an extra layer, like oh we're bringing in other people, so now the commissions are testing. Well, no, now you just kind of put it on yourselves. Mm-hmm. You could have avoided this altogether and just kept it with the commissions who've been doing it for years and, and doing it fine. Does it bug you that you get mentioned on paper with this because of the circumstances? Like you happen to be Mark Hunt's last opponent before. Brock Lesnar, mm-hmm. right? You've got the USADA suspension. Lesnar's got the USADA suspension. There's there's a, a, a lot of difference between the two, but that's not going to get explained on paper every single time it's referenced. You know yeah, what I mean? No, but um, really, I thought it was silly mentioning me and uh, Bigfoot, Bigfoot Silva, and then Vitor Belfort saying, "Well, they had TUEs." That wasn't the UFC that allowed us to have exemptions. That was yeah. the different athletic commissions. Yeah. So once again, I mean, that wasn't the brightest. Well, you know, I don't know how smart the lawyers are. There. That to me was kind of a tree. Why bother barking up? It's like, guys, you're not going to win that battle. The commissions laid out a protocol. We all followed the rules. You signed the contract knowing that we were following those rules. 
how are you going to get into that afterwards? How are you going to sit there and go, well, I'm not happy that they did this. It's like, well, well, you signed it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you knew what you were getting involved in. So what's the deal? Yeah. Whereas with the Brock thing, I could see how you could say, well, you know, I, I didn't realize that, you know, that he was going to have drugs in his system and the door was open because you guys didn't have him testing for four months. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I think once you really start breaking down the details, it's clear why, for example, Hunt's not mentioning the other fights. He's focusing on what happened at UFC 200 with Brock as he should because that arbitrary USADA exemption came into play. Right. I'm just saying it's... It's tough. It's unfortunate because because of the circumstances, you know, his opponents are listed, and there's just kind of a you get you know you get lumped in. Yeah, no, I guess that's what I'm I realize saying. that. But and I don't have any hard grievance towards Mark. You know, I, I feel that you know Mark's you know a very nice guy. Um, you know, I don't know how you know in depth intellectually he is. I didn't strike me as a real you know super deep thinker or anything. You know, just a nice guy, that general mm-hmm. you know you know pleasant person. Yeah, I think, you know, and and I don't I don't know him either, but I just, you know, looking at it from a standpoint, I kind of get why, you know, his main focus is not to be breaking down the 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 differences and the nuances and the subtleties. And it really doesn't matter to him. I think it just adds a little bit to where he's trying to be the victim here a little bit, pointing out, well, had to fight this guy, this guy, that guy. But I mean, really, he could just focus really where I think he has in a case where it's like. You exempted someone out of the four month protocol period. Yeah. That's what allowed them to 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 get to have these drugs in their system. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's what gave them an athletic advantage. Because I think the other thing people are looking at is that from what I've researched and looked at now, estrogen blockers or the things that that, that Lesnar was taking are a post uh, cycle type of drug set, meaning mm-hmm. that you've been on drugs now for ten weeks, twelve weeks, whatever your 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 period of time is. Then when you come off of it, there's negative side effects from getting off of the drugs. So these drugs that Brock was taking are post cycle type of drugs mm-hmm. to help him regulate his body back into natural. So what that tells me is that Brock, in his why he wasn't under contract with the UFC, was obviously on drugs real drugs that were making him big and strong and super lean. And then he signs a contract, obviously with enough time to get off those drugs. That's why they weren't in his system. But he got to have the benefit of all the strength and power that he had in his off season. So the whole reason why the four-month testing protocol has been input is to avoid the benefit that Brock was able to reap, where he looked pretty strong and ripped to me. Mm-hmm. Do, you, uh, do you think that... Th- that if the UFC had seen this coming with Mark Hunt, that they would have matched him up against somebody besides Alistair Overeem, because now th- that just looks all the worse. I mean, when you talk about you, you made a match with a guy who was already, I mean, I don't think he really telegraphed this lawsuit, but he had already been pretty vocal about being upset with mm-hmm. circumstances coming out of the Lesnar fight. Then you pair him with a guy who has been so closely, uh, you know, who has tested positive in the past, way before USADA, and has has had issues with that. It seems like that's a little bit of a, if they thought that it was really going to come to this, seems like you would have maybe wanted to 
compare them with somebody else just so you didn't create this a- added layer of a narrative. Yeah, I think it blindsided them too. I don't think they realized or yeah. or I don't know. I don't I guess they didn't look at it, you know, uh, that deeply and how it's going to be the court of public opinion. Well, and the, and the UFC they they win a lot, you know? I mean, yeah. really who's gone up against the UFC and won? Well, and, so, I mean, and that kind of creates a confidence to where you're like, "Eh, who cares?" Well, and, and I'm just thinking about like, you know, because when you do go to court, you know, you're going to be arguing this in front of people who are going to have a, a basic understanding, I guess, of what UFC is, or they'll have it explained to them. But it's not like they've been following the top 10 rankings for the last five years, right. probably on a jury. So it's going to be like, I mean, if you can imagine having this explained to you for the first time and he's laying out his case and then he's like, oh, and by the way, the guy that they got me fighting next, <laughs> here's his history. You know, I just think it'd be the kind of thing like a jury could look at and go, wow, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's their... Uh, they, they, but they can also say, then, do they force you to fight them? I mean, is there... Yeah. Don't you have a decision? Uh, isn't there a bout agreement where you have to... We come at you and say, hey, well, you want to fight so-and-so? And you say, no. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, it, it might initially look bad but i think it's easily diffused be like sir he has the ability to choose who he wants to fight we put up fights in front of him he didn't have to choose alistair over all right now hunt is saying that he took the fight with overeem despite everything that's happened he took the fight because he he needs to make money like everybody else and that's understandable but do you think from a strategic standpoint that there's actually kind of a crafty advantage to being booked for what will likely be a co at least co-main event on a big card and then filing the lawsuit because they can't pull you out of the bout. I mean, they can't make it, you know, it's it all eyes are on the situation now. So it's not like the UFC can go, oh, well, never mind. We're going to take you off of the fight card. That'd be the worst PR move they could yeah. do right now. So it's kind of like you guaranteed yourself a center spotlight position for the next couple of coming months, especially as the fight gets closer. Oh, and by the way, I've got an active pending lawsuit against the organization. No, that's true. Actually, now that you point that out, that is pretty smart as far as being able to create PR for yourself and getting mm-hmm. people to watch. And also, too, uh, it's going to stress the hell out of the UFC because could you imagine if Alistair No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> no. No, I could not imagine. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, um, I think he has a good case with the whole, you know, because the UFC did something, gave an exemption mm-hmm. to allow him to step out of that testing pool. That exemption gave Brock an advantage that we found out later on through testing that he was on drugs. I yeah. don't think it's a hard connection that he was obviously taking harder core drugs and this was his post cycle that got popped. Yeah. And so, um, you know. But again, you know, how about the fact that the UFC chose to give that exemption to Brock Lesnar? I mean, some of this, it seems like you're you're courting disaster in terms of the particular person you're choosing to give it to. It's not like, uh, you know, Joe Lozon is coming no, out I of mean, a brief retirement. Yeah. And you're, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not like you're no, looking at a guy about going, throwing a picture up on the, uh, that's what prompter I'm talking and be like, about. well, this guy, that's what do you I mean. think that it's, you know, it's unheard yeah. of. I mean, there were potential that he could have been you. And then that was he went back point. into pro wrestling, which right. has a prevalent, you know, uh, 
reputation for yeah. uh, you know that drugs, was my point. So. Yeah. I did. I didn't mean to pick on Joe Lozon. I was just trying no. to think of an example of someone no, who uh, you, you would know, think that I mean honestly, that would make sense for giving Angela Hill an exemption to go ahead and uh, make, yeah, or makes that. way yeah. more sense than yeah. giving Brock an exemption. Yeah, totally. Anybody with any kind of history or any kind of suspects, you would think that the UFC would want to cover themselves. Yeah. and not go there, but they took that chance, and so that's why I think they are open for uh, for damages. So BJ Penn is making his return to the Octagon, Frank, on Sunday night in Phoenix for UFC Fight Night card. He's going to be taking on rising prospect Yair Rodriguez. And I got a word with Yair Rodriguez, and uh, let's give a listen to that. Joining me on the guest line right now is uh, the guy who's going to be main eventing the UFC Fight Night card this Sunday night in Phoenix, taking on a living legend in the returning BJ Penn. It's El Pantera, Yair Rodriguez. Yair, good to talk to you again, man. How are you? Hey, how are you? And I'm pretty good. What about you? Great. Uh, you know, excited to see you back in action Sunday, but... Uh, Man, you know, uh, I guess what stands out from your other five UFC wins is that uh, you, you're taking on a Hall of Famer here. So let me get your thoughts just on that first. You know, when you got that news, when the fight was uh, was pitched to you, and, uh, you know, what went through your mind when you found out you were going to be uh, fighting a legend like that? I mean, this is a pretty big deal for me. You know, I respect BJ Penn a lot. I, I, uh, I watch him growing up. Uh, but now uh, that I have the, the opportunity to fight him, just just a nice nice shot for me, you know, because uh, I can I can it's, it's a big test for me, you know, to prove me as a fighter. You know, he already knows what it takes to be a champion. He already knows what it feels to have that UFC belt, you know, his his you know stomach. And uh, now I just think there is my is my chance to, to shine. You know, uh, this guy has his time. I just feel like this is my time now. Now on the uh, you know on the one hand there's there's a lot of tape to watch on BJ Penn obviously he's had a long storied career but on the other hand he has been out of action for two and a half years now so uh, not a lot has been seen on him in the in the recent past so g- given that and assuming you saw his last fight with with Frankie Edgar where you know he he was pretty much dominated in that fight. Uh, do, do you anticipate that, that BJ still has, you know, a lot left in his in his gas tank at this point? What What do you anticipate? Of course, mm-hmm. of course, yes, of course. I think BJ Penn has a lot, a lot to hit still. You know, um, I, I I don't I don't think why people think that way. You know, it's just sometimes you just need a, a, a relax. You know, like he he he, he takes it easy for, for probably a year. You know, he figures his stuff out. And then for now he's been training for more than a year, you know, with people that know me pretty well. So I, I just think he's gonna we wanna see a, a better BJ Penn than before, you know, I think he's coming renovated. You know, I I saw him the last time that I saw him he was already, you know, getting skinny and stuff, so he, that means he's been in shape for a long time. And um it's what I'm it's what I'm hoping for, you know, it's what I'm waiting for, the best BJ Penn ever. It's gonna be a really big test for me. Uh, is what I'm hoping for. Now, how has the, the the coaching and the training camps worked out for this fight? Because I, I know I know you travel around a bit, but you got Mike Valley there in, in Chicago, Izzy Martinez, but you've also had ties to the Jackson Winkle John camp as well, and that's where BJ's been been training for this camp. So, uh, um, uh, that that information is like like all. Uh, I've been training for two years in Chicago. I live actually. I live in Chicago. Right. My head coach in the beginning has been Coach Mike Valley. I don't know, I don't know, like that information that that that's wrong. You know, I've been I've been two years with Coach Mike right now. I respect everyone in Jackson. I have a lot of friends there, but I 
even Morgan Tudor that I don't train with him, yeah. or Craig Jackson, or even Israel Martinez. I haven't trained with him for more than a, than a year and a half. Um, my head coach right now is Mike Valle, as I was, has been. Um, my YouTube coach is Luis Claudio. And my wrestling coach is there, and they've been there. The BB's brother, Carson BB, Connor BB, you know, they've they been my, 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 my partners and, and my coaches, you know. Yeah. I, uh, also, Tony Martin, you know, he's, he's been with me. Um, and this is this been my training camp, you know. Basically, the, the, the head coaches for now is, is Mike Pauly, who is my head coach, and Luis Claudio. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I knew you weren't at Jackson's anymore. I, I was just meaning, uh, you know, in terms of any residual effect from, from being there, do you, do you feel like there's still people there who, you know, are particularly keyed in to your, to your fighting style and your training regimen, or do you think you've really uh, evolved way beyond that in the last couple of years as a fighter? Oh, of course, of course. I think I, I, I've been growing up a lot, you know, since, since, I, since I was there. Um, I mean, it's just... You, you learn, you grow, and then you go and put it in a show. Every time that you fight is what I try to do every time. You know, I always try to be creative. I I don't have to try to be creative. I'm just creative. I'm a creative person, you know. And my training on my on my life, on, on my fighting game. So, you know. No, you, you are a very creative uh, uh, fighter and risk taker uh, in the cage. And, you know, my, my co-host on the show, he's not on with me on this segment, but my, my co-host Frank Muir, uh, who had, had said he had uh, had a chance to spar with you just a bit in, uh, back in the Albuquerque days, uh, particularly talked about your kicking game and how innovative that was and said that coming into this fight with B.J. Penn, he thinks you will really have an advantage in that area uh first of all your thoughts on that and and secondly do you think that uh, your kicks are going to be you know some some of the hardest and the, the most innovative that bj may have faced in his career you know sometimes it's hard to fight against a, a guy like bj Penn, you know because he's pretty solid pretty basic you know and i can probably don't do nothing with my creative stuff so i need to be careful with what i do up there with him, especially with a you know a UX expert like back like him, you know. But uh, I mean, I prepare myself in every sense of my game, my fighting game. So if he if he thinks it's gonna be too easy to take me down, so maybe just like like a, a kid is is wrong, you know. He he will probably have a big surprise there. So I mean, I I know my kicks, my kicks are one of my advantages, you know. My age too, I'm I, I'm fast, you know. But like I'm telling you, I don't know what is he, what is he gonna bring this this next Sunday, you know, because he's been out of, out of competition for two years, but he's, he's been training for a long time now, so I think he's going he's gonna to come right up there. And just lastly for you, you know, you are a ranked featherweight now. Uh, BJ Penn is, is not, but a win over BJ on Sunday, uh, you know, where, where do you feel like that puts you in terms of uh, the featherweight rankings? Would you feel like you would move up uh, from, from a win like that? And then, you know, would you expect to be facing uh, top five competition at that point? I don't know. I just think this 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 fight is, is going to be a tough route for me. You know, I, it can probably put me in a good position to be on my way to be the champion of the world. You know, mm. uh, so I, I'm just hoping that you know, hopefully the UFC seeing the same way as me. You know, and I just I just think I'm I'm almost there. Yeah, Rodriguez takes on BJ Penn Sunday night in Phoenix UFC Fight Night on Fox Sports One. Yeah, best of luck in there. Uh, good to talk to you. Look forward to the next time. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Take care. Yeah, Rodriguez there talking about fighting the living legend BJ Penn, but uh, a living legend, Frank, that has been out of 
the Octagon competition since his loss to Frankie Edgar back, uh, it's been about two and a half years. It was July of 2014. I was there that night, and he did not look good. He was uh, dominated by Edgar at uh, in, in, his, in his featherweight debut and really seemed resigned to the fact that his career was over that night at the post-fight press conference saying, you know, he just gave it all he had. He didn't have it anymore, and that was it. And um, now he's back. He's uh, been training down at uh, Jackson Winklejohn, and uh, he's, he's taken on a guy that is uh, undefeated in the UFC, 5-0, and 10-1 in MMA, Yair Rodriguez. Uh, pretty impressive up-and-coming talent. What are your thoughts on, one, BJ's return, and two, how you think the fight goes? Well, I'm excited to see BJ. You know, I think something that everybody's always uh, a knock on his uh, training approach is that he always stayed on the island, kind of stayed and controlled his own camp. And, uh, you know, obviously he's extremely masterful, uh, you know, submissions, hard puncher, hits hard, and has some great knockouts. Uh you know, carried him through a lot of fights. I mean, they called him a prodigy for, uh, you know, for a very good reason. Mm-hmm. I think as the sport evolved, uh, maybe he didn't evolve as fast with it, you know, could have been, you know, Frankie Edgar, you know, obviously was, uh, you know, uh, a very bad fight for uh, BJ, but not because, you know, you know, I think the weight cut and the fact that, you know, Frankie was uh, better prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that now BJ has stepped out of his comfort zone and left the island and now he's training with, uh, you know, there at uh, Jackson and Winklejohn shows that he's willing to go ahead and try to change things up and look for things. And, uh, and, uh, and so it really has me intrigued. If he had been doing the same old thing, taking this fight, I would have been a little bit, uh, worried and like, ah, you know, I don't know, you know, the same old thing isn't working anymore. But, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, he's made some sacrifices, made himself uncomfortable, left the, uh, the island to go, uh, out in the middle of the desert and there in Albuquerque. You know, it shows me that he uh, he definitely has the motivation to want to go out there and perform well. And so uh, I think he has excellent hands and power. I think Yair obviously has a, a kicking advantage, very athletic, moves around. But if, uh, you know, uh, you know, BJ connects, Yair is going to know. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what uh, additional game plans he has. Because, you know, BJ Penn has a phenomenal tool set, great submissions, uh, you know, like I said, great athlete and, um, you know, uh, now hopefully a great preparation behind it. Uh, I'm super excited to see the fight. Were you telling me that you had uh, worked a little bit with Yair Rodriguez? And, I had and, sparred with him, you know, obviously, yeah. I mean, you know, sparring heavyweight with a guy right. who fights at 145. But, but you were impressed with his kicks. That's what I remember Very impressed. Me, yeah. It came very quick, different angles. Uh, his hands were pretty much to keep you at bay and not run him over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he would try to keep you at the distance of his jab, at the end of a jab. And great athletic kicks and came like a, very uh, hard to see and uh, thrown very uh, swiftly. Well, that's going to be uh, Sunday night in Phoenix. And uh, BJ Penn, uh, you know, if he if he looks good, I guess all of a sudden – uh, we could be getting one of the old guard back, and uh, he's 38 right now, I guess. So uh, the clock is ticking. But uh, who? <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to think that too when you were closing in on 40. But now you see guys like Ben, or uh, excuse me, uh, Dan Henderson, who yep. realistically, I mean, he could be the middleweight champ right now if that fight had happened in uh, the states. Well, you know, I'm all for that. I'm all for Dan Henderson staying out of retirement, even though I guess technically right now he is. That's one retirement I I wouldn't mind uh, seeing uh, rescinded. Get uh, 
get real at drinkrealwater.com. Stay hydrated the way Frank and I do. Uh, real water is the bottled water that we drink. And uh, coming up on the 27th uh, next week here in Las Vegas, uh, Real Water's Real Mixed Martial Arts promotion. That's right. They're the bottled water company that has its own mixed martial arts promotion. Is going to return to Sam's Town Casino. That's Friday, January 27th. If you'd like a chance to win tickets, go to our Phone Booth Fighting Twitter page at Phone Booth Fight and uh, retweet the uh, link to the uh, uh, fight card promo. You'll see it right there at the top. Retweet that for a chance to win a pair of tickets. We'll be giving away a pair of tickets on our Phone Booth Fight Twitter page uh, the next couple of days for the fight. If you're going to be in Las Vegas, Sam's Town Casino, it's always a lot of fun. I'll be out there and they come watch some great uh, amateur mixed martial arts and Muay Thai with us. Get real at drinkrealwater.com and check out Real Mixed Martial Arts on Facebook for uh, more information about the Las Vegas card coming up on the 27th. Frank, you want to do a little uh, Facebook feedback? Should we check in with a few listeners? See what they're saying? All right. This question, Frank. Comes to us via our Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page from listener Dominic Nelson. He says, Frank, hey guys, really enjoying the show. I made a Facebook account specifically to ask questions and uh, give you guys a like and a follow. Thank you, Dominic. Here's my first so question. Wait a Dominic didn't have a Facebook before this? Apparently not. Apparently we inspired him to get on Facebook. That's, how, like bad he, that. that's how bad he wanted to communicate You're like with me, us. Dominic. I only got a Facebook because I <laughs> had to have a fan page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, he says, uh, here's my first question, primarily for Frank, but Richard can, of course, chime in. Um, being a big MMA fan, I've noticed that some traditional martial arts are looked down upon by the community for being impractical in real combat situations, some more than others. I'm finally taking the initiative to join a local mixed mar- or local martial arts gym, partially because of you guys. Thanks for that. And some of the uh, videos of less common martial arts that they posted seemed a bit hokey to me, while the kickboxing, Muay Thai, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu appear to be as effective as one would expect from watching MMA. My question is this. From your experience, are there some martial arts that are a waste of time to study, or can one draw at least some value from virtually any martial art out there. Thanks for all the free content. Uh, really helps me get through the weeks. That's from Dominic Nelson. Thanks for the question, Dominic. What do you think, Frank? Well, I think that um, you can draw value from any martial art, but then we're going to go off of how much effort to to result you're getting, and then also what are your goals. Um, if your goals is just to be able to win a street fight, then I say go get a gun, You know, carry a knife. Um, if your goal is to be able to win a dualistic type fight where it's just you versus another guy, then training in Tai Chi probably isn't going to be the most bang for your buck uh, because one-on-one combat, you're going to want to go towards sports or martial arts that uh, that practice that. And, and also, too, whenever I'm looking, if I'm looking to be more effective, if, hey, if I get into a bar fight with somebody in a one-on-one situation, not counting that his 15 friends jump in, which I don't know of any Kung Fu style that fixes that besides bullets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one-on-one, you and I, we walk out to the parking lot, we're going to go at it. Okay. Then I'm going to want to pick a martial arts that doesn't just teach me techniques that are devastating, eye poke, groin strikes. It's like, all right, 
you know, things that look menacing, but I want to practice with martial arts to go, hey, do you guys roll or do you guys spar? Do you guys do randori? Do you guys, while you're training these techniques, am I going to in class get to try to apply them to an unwilling participant who also doesn't want me to choke, punch, or kick them? And if that person says, no, we don't do that, then I'm like, eh, the chances of you actually using that are probably slim to none. That'd be the equivalent of me having the greatest baseball hitting coach in the world. I can have a team of guys around me showing me how to swing a bat, laser signals, showing me what to do, how to read a pitcher, how to read the ball coming out of his hand. But I never get to swing at a live ball. No. I'm never going to go there and have somebody actually throw the ball at me and I'm going to swing at it. Nope. Hmm. How well do you think I'm going to do the first time I line up against a real live pitcher? Yeah. Probably not real well. I might look really good. Um, I'll have the right stance. The bat will be in the right position. My elbow, my grip, my hands. And I can look like I know how to bat, but I really don't know how to bat. Let's face it. It takes trial and error. And again, going against people that are unwilling. So when you go to apply the technique, you're nervous, you're getting tired, you're trying, he's not cooperating. Then you have an instructor going, well, do it this way. Try doing that way. And now you're choking people or hitting people that don't want to be choked and hit. Now you're going to have a much more effective time as far as a realistic martial arts. And I think that, you know, I've had people come up to me in the past, you know, talk to you. Well, what if a guy bites you? I'm like, well, then after I choke you unconscious, I'm going to be pretty pissed. Right. You don't want me to be that mad while you're not awake. Right. <laughs> um, uh, back when Jigaro Kano, right, who invented judo, uh, they took a lot of the lethal moves out of the original jujitsu, right? That came out of Japan that the samurais practice, you know, because, you know, they were doing eye pokes, growing strikes, breaking bones, and it was very vicious and hard to train. So he took a lot of that out and said, well, look, we'll stick to chokes and arm bar and mm-hmm. throws. So they had a competition, 10 judo guys versus 10 jujitsu guys. Uh, the judo guys overwhelmingly won and were extremely successful. I think going back, they won like nine of the matches. I think one ended in a draw. Like none of the jiu-jitsu guys won. And the reason being was because all these lethal moves that the jiu-jitsu guys had at the time, they really couldn't practice. I mean, how many times have you trained to stab your fingers through someone's eyes? Mm-hmm. Probably not a lot, you know? Whereas the judo guys, like, well, I've launched a guy with a, you know, Seonagi, Several times a day in practice for hours at a time against another unwilling opponent. So guess what? I'm really good at applying this move, and it's still effective. So, I mean, are there other moves out there? I've seen some, you know, well, this is more of a street fighting martial arts that teaches this. I'm like, well, guess what? A straight right hand to the chin or to the solar plexus is going to, you know, do some damage. If I Mm -hmm. knee you in the face or if I get your back and I put in a rear naked choke, these are all moves that are highly effective in a real combat situation. Um, And I get to practice them in the gym against people that know how to defend it and don't want to be put in there. So I get into a street fight with somebody. How easy is it to take their back and slip the hooks in and go ahead and put them to sleep? My rudimentary thought about of course i'm you know i'm partial to jujitsu because that's that's the uh the one that i've gravitated toward but what i can what i can say to dominic is is this that i think if you get this is my own personal experience i think if you give jujitsu a year that i'll just throw out that number that seems about right because what i felt like was i think i got my ass kicked for a year (laughs) and i think i mean i was learning the whole time but for the first year i just felt like i showed up and i got my ass kicked but i kept showing up 
And then after that year, I all of a sudden realized I knew some stuff. And I remember my instructor saying that one of the things he likes about jujitsu is he thinks it's one of the only disciplines where you can still be at the, the white belt level and know something depending on where you're at in the belt, because Mm -hmm. you know, there's fewer belts. So what I think it does is if you will give it that year, what you will take from it, no matter what else you get from it is a difference in your way of thinking when it comes to potentially combative situations because I knew what it did was I all of a sudden realized that I don't ever see a potentially combative situation that I don't have a, some kind of game plan for doesn't matter if the person's much bigger than me or whatever you know I'm still going to be at a size disadvantage obviously if they train then you know that's a whole nother thing but you know in Otherwise, kind of what you you go through life going, you 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 assess situations based on well, how big is that person, how much of a of a threat are they, you know, what kind of environment are we in, and the one thing that I think jujitsu did for me to change all that is that no matter how big the adversary, no matter what the setting or the circumstances are, I've I I think I I can at a moment's notice come up with an ABC path no, to I at least it. try to defend myself. I think that getting at least a blue belt in jiu-jitsu pretty much makes you able to win, uh, I would say, most of any kind of one-on-one street fights you're going to get into that doesn't involve a weapon uh, over somebody who doesn't know jiu-jitsu. Right, right, you know? which is 99.9% of the people anyway. Yeah, I, so, mean, yeah. I mean, let's face it. Chokes are superior to strikes. They just are. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, can you? Have I seen films where people get knocked out with one punch? Yeah. Uh, I've also seen people hit grand slams and home runs. They're not effective all the time, though. Um, it doesn't happen as much as you think so. Uh, and, and more often than not, it's easier just, you know, people start tussling with each other. If you know how to choke, I think choking is the ultimate. I think being able to cut the blood off to the brain, they lose consciousness. You know, uh, you can incapacitate somebody and, you know, they can't fight back when they're asleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when they come to, uh, magically, they may have a whole new respect for yes. what they're dealing with. Uh, yeah. Most people that I haven't choked outside the octagon that I have choked, you know, in my different walks of life that yeah. I've had to uh, put to sleep, uh, uh, I've only had one ever wake up mad. Yeah. Everybody else. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, the industry I used to work in, so it was a, quite a few people I had to put to sleep. Right. Gay <laughs> porn. Everybody kind of mm-hmm. woke up with a little bit new, uh, you know, calibration on yes. life. Like looking up, like, all right, sorry, I've offended you. I, yeah. I will leave now. Yeah, right. Uh, great question, Dominic. Thanks for that, and uh, keep us posted on your uh, progress. Uh, however, you uh, decide to train, we'd like to know about that. All right, here's another question from Don Paul Moore. He's checked in before, Frank. Uh, I recognize his name. He, uh, you know, we we're talking about Meryl Streep. Uh, and her uh, yeah. MMA reference on the last show. So this is in reference to that. Don says, uh, hi, guys. You asked, so I'm going to give you an answer that applies to me. I cannot speak for others, but I will tell you why I took offense to Meryl Streep saying what she did. Oh, good. I'm glad because I, I, I really want to hear so much. Yeah, coming, right. Okay. So I can understand better. Right. He says, um, I'll start by saying that I have been a musician for over 40 years and a martial artist for almost 20. I can tell you I got more in common with this guy than I realized. I can tell you without any hesitation that whether it's perfecting a guitar riff, writing the tricky lyrical phrasing, smoothing out the armbar transitions, or attacking solid footwork in the stand-up, 
The mindset and approaches to each craft is identical. As a matter of fact, I know best how to train my martial arts from the way I've trained and improved my musical abilities. With music or martial arts, I slow things down to perfect the technique, then work to uh, relaxing in the flow, and then from there, I'll try to be creative through improvisation, etc., And to me, the rewards have the same feel of fulfillment and expression, both as a participant and as an observer. Uh, Are uh, are martial arts a form of expression? Absolutely. Do martial arts require creativity? Certainly they do, if one wants to excel. Are the martial arts pleasing to the eye? Let's see. A well-executed judo throw, a well-done kung fu form, uh, let's see, Kali's mastery of bladed weapons, and... uh, Escrima sticks. I don't even know what that Escrima. is. Escrima sticks? Uh, Filipino stick fighting. Oh, okay. Uh, a seamless flow from one submission you know attempt to the other. I don't know the name. Ah. I guess I know. I mean, now that you say that, I know, I guess, what it looks like, but uh, I didn't know that's what you called with, it. with uh, Jeff Speakman. He does some Escrima stuff. Oh, okay. Um, uh, are things I uh, find very uh, pleasing aesthetically? Uh this is actually a very long email, so but I think you you get the point here. No, um, I do, and I understand what you're saying. I think right yeah. now what we're having is a, a vocabulary mm-hmm. debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, MMA or football being the arts, mm-hmm. um, is there artistry to MMA? Absolutely. Is there artistry to football? I think so. Talk to Eli Manning and tell me that there's not an art behind what he does as a football player. Yeah. You know, uh, there is art in sports. Too, but I think the difference is that 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 make the arts like music, singing, dance, ballet in a different category. My thought process is that they are done purely as an expression with an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen a music band book a hall just to sing for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying they don't enjoy singing, but People don't put on plays just to put a play on with no audience. They mm-hmm. like to perform. So I guess what we're looking at is the performance arts, going out there and doing a ballet dance. Right. The goal is to, I want to showcase this beauty and expression to others. Whereas a martial artist, there is that aspect to what we do where people can watch and appreciate and there's a lot of art. I mean, hell, in the Hippocratic Oath, they talk about how there's art in the application of medicine is not all science. There's art to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So yes, there's art in, in all aspects of life and all walks. But I think what she was saying was that the performing arts would take a hit and, you know, we would only have the sporting arts, I guess would be a way to put it. Not that we're not an art form, but we're in the same category, I think as like football where a bunch of guys will get together and throw the football around to play against each other, not thinking that they're going to do this in front of a crowd. I mean, I I go out with my kids, we play, you know, you you know, get a bunch of guys together. We're going to play sandlot football. We're going to hit each other, try to pretend we're back in the day, but we're not practicing, sit there and go, Hey, you know, Sunday, maybe we should sell some tickets and some people can come out and see us go. I would think that, and you would probably be able to best describe this, when you guys get together as a band and you start playing in a garage and your guys are banging away and going at it, the goal is to do that in front of people, Mm -hmm. right? You're not purely just doing it just, all right, that's good enough. It's like, hey, do you want to play in front of anybody? Hell no, I don't want to play in front of anybody. This is for us. So that's why I considered music, ballet, dance, 
acting, you know, uh, to be a performing art. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that that's, I guess, why I didn't still take a slight to it because she put a definite, she's saying, well, this is not that. And I agree with her. Yeah. Fighting is not performing arts like yeah. i don't fight somebody and spar with somebody with the idea that i want there to be a crowd here you know honestly if no one ever watched me fight it would not hurt my feelings if no one was ever there it wouldn't upset me i like to fight because i like to fight other people and mm. i like that test mm. and what it puts me through and that challenge and the only reason why i do it in front of other people is because in our world, I get paid to do that. Mm-hmm. And then when I get paid to do that, that means I get to spend more time in the gym and not have to work a normal nine-to-five job, which I would have to do if I didn't get paid to fight. And it's less time in the gym. So it's kind of like one hand washes the other. I'm like, hey, I really like to do this. I'm like, hey, if you let us watch you do it, I'll give you money. I'm like, oh, shit, that means I can do what I like to do more often? Like, yeah. I'm like, all right, deal. I'm in. Yeah. I don't think most musicians and, and ballet dancers or performing art people think that way. It's like, hey, if you do your play up on stage, you can recite and you know and do more theater together oh okay i never thought about that but sure you know i think most actors want to be on screen they're not just hey can we just throw lines back and forth at each other just for the you know for shits and giggles Mm. yeah her her comment was mixed martial arts is not the art and when you talk about what is referred to as the arts as we said last week uh, on the show vocabulary thing right absolutely is semantics you're talking about you're talking about symphony uh, uh, the ballet uh, theater, okay, and that's why, for example, uh, you know, if you you go down to your uh, city council meeting and you you speak in your uh, allotted you know three minutes of public time about why you want the city to increase funding for the arts, try doing that, and then uh, you know in your comments go you know theater, dance, uh, ballet, the symphony. Cage fighting. So, so look well, at the look you, on everybody's face. If you said soccer or if so, you yes, said field yes, hockey, right, people would look right. at you crazy going, wait. That's now, absolutely look, right. All sports, there's art in it. You know, yes. there's creativity. There's an expression like, well, this quarterback or this linebacker or this soccer player didn't exactly follow this right or this is their own creativity on their move. I mean, yeah. Watching, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, not that I've you know, never been exposed. I'm a typical uh, U.S. citizen. You know, soccer is still pretty foreign to me. But I remember watching, you know, highlight reels on the classic ESPN showing Pele jumping through the air, you know, that, that uh, bicycle kick and scoring. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, that's really pretty. That's artistic. Um, I don't consider it the performing arts. And, and guess what? I'm not a fan of performing arts. You know, I mean, I like movies, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm a casual fan, but I'm not the, you know, if the Nutcracker's playing, have I been there? Yes. If I wasn't married to Mrs. Mir, would I have ever seen it? Hell fucking no. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not my thing. Now, it's not an insult upon people that like that. It's like, hey, but football, you know, sports yeah. are, it's just different. The analogy that I wished I would have brought up after we got done taping uh, our last episode, and I'm glad I get a chance to revisit it tonight, thanks to, to Don's question. Yeah, is, no, it was a really good question. No, I'm it, glad it's I a great question. Out, but and I also get where he's coming from. But the, I the, get it. The analogy that, that escaped me on our last episode that all, I, I wished I'd thought of then is it's like saying theater of war. You know when people yeah. go to war and talk about, yeah, they were in the you know theater of war. That's not the theater. 
That doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't impressive. It just means that's not an actual reference to an actual theater. Right. You know, so there, there, there's your difference. But uh, Semantics. Semantics. Yeah. Uh, and uh, finally, let's do one more here. Facebook feedback from Matthew Barry, all the way from Australia, Frank. He says, love the podcast. And, of course, I have given it a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you, Matthew. We appreciate that. If you haven't done that yet, go to our iTunes page, look up Phone Booth Fighting, and please click on the five stars. Did Meryl Streep do The Butler? Who did that one? The Butler. What movie was that? The Butler. Jennifer, who was the actress in The Butler? No, the one where the girl was transgender back like... I'm bringing it up right now. Who was it? Yeah. Right in the middle of my iTunes plug, too. Yeah, sorry. Hold on. Yeah. Because it just it's me thinking of something funny. If, if it, it is relates. a 2013 American historical drama produced by Lee Daniels. Um, and you're, you want to know who's in it, right? Yeah, who's the... The cast? Oh, that's not the one? Yeah, because she was in it, Oprah. That's not who we're talking about. Was it not called The Butler? What's the context? Maybe I'll know it if you describe uh, wasn't what. Was it a true story? Wasn't it a true story? I don't. It was about a young lady, or that that basically started dressing as a man at fourteen to save herself, and then basically like worked as a butler for a household as a man, but was really a woman. Fell in love. It was a miserable story. It was fucking just. No. At the end of the movie, she dragged me to watch it. I'm just sitting there at the end, staring at her, going, "This was a fucking waste of two hours." Glenn Close. Oh, it was Glenn Close. Yeah, I thought it was Meryl Streep. I was gonna make fun of. Her. Uh, the Glenn Close movie. Okay. Let me see here. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Mears looking it up because. Uh, Albert Nobbs. Albert Nobbs. All right. Well, you know what would have been a better use of your time, Frank, than going to see that film would be going to our iTunes page, uh, looking up Phone Booth Fighting and clicking on the five stars uh, to give us a uh, review like Matthew did in Australia. And if you have a moment, write us a favorable line or two. We like to read those on the air. But Matthew's question specifically is this. After he gave us the five-star review, he had a thought. He said, um, when will you be shipping merchandise orders to Australia? I'd love to get my hands on a couple of shirts and a poster. Matthew, you are in luck, sir. We are shipping to Australia right now. I mailed a package uh, there just today. And if you go to phoneboothfightingshop.com, and place your merchandise order, we will send your package to Australia as well. Frank, joining us on the phone booth fighting guest line now here at Stately Mirror Manor is the president of Invicta Fighting Championships, a big card uh, going down Saturday. You can uh, watch it exclusively on UFC's Fight Pass, Invicta 21. Uh, Nice to talk to Shannon Knapp again. Hey, Shannon, how are you? And thanks for joining us. Doing well. Thank you for having me. Now, Always a pleasure. Now tell me and Frank what because uh, we're at midweek right now and uh, we're keeping you up. Uh, I, I don't know what kind of hours you keep. Uh, I know it's a couple hours later where you are than where we are, so we appreciate you staying uh, up a little late with us. But what what is it? What's the president of Invicta Fighting Championships doing? You know, seventy two hours or so removed from a big card. What's in front of you right now? Well. You know, fight week, you always keep late hours, but this has been one of those fight cards, uh, you know, preparation for it. It's, it's probably been one of our toughest ones, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Yeah. You know, we've had a couple of injuries last minute, you know, one that happened just this week. 
uh, we were able to, you know, get a replacement that's a really good solid site. So uh, we have a big winter storm that's moving into the area. Oh. <laughs> is uh, talking about freezing rain and all kinds of good stuff. So, yeah, it's been one of those weeks, but it's a good week, you know. Uh, historically, if you have the front end of it is a struggle, then the fights and the in the card itself actually always turn out to be some of the best. So. No, I know the the main event is an interim featherweight title fight between a couple of ladies that I've seen fighting Invicta before. In fact, I saw uh, Charmaine Tweet fight live at the Invicta card in L.A., uh, the one you guys did oh, yeah. there. Seems like maybe it was a year or so ago. And she was fighting yeah. uh, Cyborg that night. And uh, this time around, she's going to be fighting Megan Anderson, who is the... Now, she's the very long, lanky Australian. Am I correct about that, Shannon? Yeah. Yeah. That is correct, yes. So, really, a fight between a couple of girls who have a lot of length and reach and height and all that sort of thing, and then your winner is uh, is going to become... Uh, the the is it going to be the interim featherweight championship or will they will they be the the actual yes, featherweight? It will be the interim. Okay. Okay. It will be the interim. Okay. And then is that sort of pending whatever happens with you know would would there be a possibility maybe at some point down the line of Cyborg making a return or what what are your plans for that title? You know, I think that is the thing is you know I'm going to you know respectfully give it a you know just a, a little more time to determine what the deal is with Cyborg and what her plans are. And, you know, and then uh, we'll go from there. You've also got uh, on the card a couple of recognizable names. Uh, I, I watch the, the Invicta product anytime uh, you, you guys are, are on Fight Pass or I can see it live. So I know you've got a couple of uh, stand, standouts, yeah, on the uh, on the card that I've watched fight before. Uh, Aspen Ladd in a uh, Bantamweight fight. And then uh, now you guys, uh, you guys also have Andrea Lee fighting flyweight. This is interesting, Frank. Andrea Lee is uh, now she's KGB, right, uh, Shannon? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, she, yeah, that is correct. She wears a cowboy hat, but she is KGB. So there's there's a lot of range there in terms of imagery. My first thought, Shannon. My question is, if you found out that your Invicta email had gotten hacked. Would KGB be the first suspect? <laughs> you and the Russians, man. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, to be honest, no, but it is a very, very funny one. I will now, for sure, though. Yeah, right now that I put it out, right? I put it on your radar. Uh, uh, yeah. Who who else uh, on the card? I know uh, Elizabeth Phillips, for example, uh, in a featherweight fight. Uh, we've seen her fight in uh, UFC before. Give us uh, Give us an idea of some of the other standouts on the card. You know, uh, Penny, uh, Penny will be on this fight. It, it was along with, uh, Raquel Palulu. Yeah. I mean, Raquel's from Vegas. I know you're familiar with yep. her. She is tough as nails. Penny, uh, you know, she's coming out of Sweden. Uh, I don't know if you've seen her compete here at Invicta, but she, uh, used to, she used to be the, uh, Cage Warriors champion. So she's incredibly tough as well. You know, and that's a fight that I think is is going to be a really good fight to stand out. Jody Escobar is back on this card. Um, she takes on Callie Robbins. Uh, I look for that to be, uh, you know, quite a stand up fight. Now, so, uh, and Ra- there are a lot of good fights on this card. Raquel is if is she trained at Drysdale's? 
uh, I, I want to say that I'd seen her train over there. Well, I, just I believe asked, she does. Yeah, I, I just asked because that's where, where Frank and I go. So, uh, uh, Frank, oh, okay. Frank was just there. He was just there 30 minutes ago. So, uh, did yeah. not see her. Well, you know, actually, wait a minute. I did see oh, her nice. training. She was training yesterday, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So uh, sorry, man. Sometimes when I walk into jujitsu mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank's been bon- Frank's been bonked in the head a lot, Shannon. Sometimes I have show up at his house after remind him who I am, and he sees me twice a week. So yeah, no, I saw actually uh, tonight she wasn't in there. I think she was taking a breather from the evening practice. But I saw her uh, on uh, both Monday and Tuesday night. She was working off the rest of the class. We were all training, and she kind of took a couple of the guys to the side and was yep. working on things. Oh, very cool. Now, now, Shannon, this fight is going to be in uh, in Kansas City, right? And that's that's like yes. that's that's uh, that's Kansas City for Invicta is like what San Jose was for the old Strike Force. That's your that's your home headquarters. How did that how did that come to be? Is that just because of where you were geographically located, or how did how did Invicta come to call Kansas City home? Yeah, you know, pretty much it was uh, because it is where, you know, I live and reside. You know, the other thing, too, is, you know, it's kind of middle of everything. Mm. You know, no matter where you where you want to get, you're in the middle, you know. So uh, that was another factor, you know. And when it brought, you know, it was all female, and we're going to, you know, the Midwest has, you know, been very accepting of female wrestlers and things like that. So we tried to, you know, build the base here. Now we're going to get back to. I've got some other Invicta-related items to ask you about, Shannon. But uh, before we do that, uh, I, I want to let Frank have a crack because I don't know if you have seen the uh, headlines that have been made uh, online the last couple of days coming out of the Mirror household, and they didn't have anything to do with Frank. Nope, I got ellipsed. They had His to daughter. Yes, they had to do. Did you happen to see this? I'm now starting to play second fiddle. Yeah, did you happen to see at all the viral video of the wrestling tournament, Shannon, that was going around? Uh, no, I okay. haven't. I mean, yeah. I've been slammed over here. Of course, but of course, yeah, yeah. I know we talked about Frank's daughter the last time well, I there, was on the program. There, there's been an update. So, so Frank, Frank is uh, helping out with the wrestling program at her school that that basically just started, right? Oh, I mean, nice. Started, yeah. I think our first practice was November 7th. Uh, they had stopped it for years. And one of the fathers, uh, Pat Ramsey, uh, wrestled at Harvard, you know, wrestled his whole life since he was five years old. He has a sixth grader there at Meadow, Zach, and uh, they wanted to start up a wrestling program. So we started one. So uh, at that time, we went to a, a meet last weekend. We just joined into the beginners area. They had 12 practices, really. And, and uh, my daughter is a full-time softball player. That's what we've always kind of pushed. And they've always dabbled in, you know, wrestling and jiu-jitsu because I'm around it so much. Yeah, they're in the gym having fun, but, you know, their practices always took priority. And so with that many training, my daughter went in there, went 3-0 and in the tournament. And, in fact, she got, she's got she been watching too many Olympic wrestling matches. She thought if she belly-to-backed everybody, she would get extra points for it. So uh, each kid got <laughs> belly-to-backed, all the boys, and she was the lightest one in the, the thing. She uh, went 3-0 and and also suplexed everybody, I think, a minimum of three times. I think the least amount of times any guy got suplexed was three. It was it was all boys, Shannon, and the the the, 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 the poor subject of the, the, the viral video is a guy that's getting German suplexed all over the mat. By Which her. was a super tough match. It was a tough guy. Yeah. He got second, and the match only ended in 2-0 yeah. because uh, obviously in a folk-style match, there's no points for just belly-to-backing people, just one hell of a crowd cheering and going nuts. So here's... Oh, I just watched it. Oh, you saw <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. I, oh, again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So you oh, see, nice. So you see what we're dealing with there, uh, Shannon. Now, now, she's only 13, so, uh, you know, we're not talking about next month or anything, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, if, if the, there's anything, ter- if your wheels are turning at all when you look at that. Well, they were turning the last time I talked to you. Matter of yeah. fact, I, uh, I, I was talking with uh, some guys at, with uh, UFC Fight Pass tonight. And I was telling them about, you know, I had this interview coming up. And mm. I said, yeah, I got my, you know, always keep an eye on Frank's daughter coming up to the rings. Yes. Isabella, right? Is that, That's it, yes. is that right? So now oh, Okay, she, I was, well, was going to look real quick. That being said, it. you know, obviously now we've actually, you know, in this last weekend because of what happened finally, I've lost the argument. I've been trying to push her to stay in softball, and, you know, there's at least a scholarship available in college for it. And uh, her mom and her sat me down and told me that's just not the way it's going to happen. So we've decided to go ahead and uh, uh. we let go of our, our year-round softball program, and we're now going to be fully vested in doing wrestling, jiu-jitsu, boxing every night, and that's what we've been doing now this week, and it looks like that's going to be our new lifestyle. Um, so the training aspect, oh, I nice. understand. Is there anything as far as, you know, I mean – I look at it, and women's MMA has made such a huge explosion. I would think, but I'm a man sitting here looking at it going, oh, the girls have made it. They headline huge cards. Some of the most famous athletes in our sport now are females. I mean, you got Ronda Rousey doing, you know, Pantene commercials. And it's, you know, Joanna Jacek is is now becoming a household name. Juliana, you know, Cyborg is, everybody knows who Cyborg is. Am I correct in saying that now it's up there with the guys or there's still some room to grow and what would you suggest you know i think there's always room to grow you know i definitely think that but we have i mean we leaps and bounds from where you know 2012 you know 2011 where we're at so um i think you know we're still knocking down the barriers and you know getting people to pay attention that you know we still have some people out there that we need to change their mind, but yeah, I think that the women have made incredible leaps and bounds forward, you know, and I think it's only going to get better at, you know, the only thing I can tell you about after watching this video, the only thing that's missing is if I could have got a shot of the camera of your face, yeah. and she's doing that. I would well, love to I, see I, your expression. My face got, <laughs> I, I just looked and smiled, and the other coaches look at me, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders like, I didn't tell her to do that, actually she's getting tired, but Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would love to have seen your expression when she suplexed. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. So, Shannon but no, you know, I think she's got a bright future. I think any female athlete that you know is you know really you know has talent, has a base in this, and has a desire. I mean, the opportunities are there. You know, and trying every day to make them bigger. Actually, and 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 correct me. I mean my thought process if you have any suggestions and if i'm going up the right way or if alter it but the more i think about it if i have a this is how i thought about this years ago if somebody came up to me and told me hey you know i'm 160 pounds my wife's 120 pounds my kid you know we're both great athletes my kid's a great athlete what sport would you want me to put them in i'm like well you know mixed martial arts a great sport because it's weight orientated that you know you could be a phenomenal athlete just like how you know uh demetrius johnson right fight at 125 compete against other men his own size and his athleticism and all his training and skill now you know it it goes to good use whereas demetrius johnson stepping on a football field or in anybody else of that size it's going to be kind of hard you know you know not that there's not exceptional athletes that are on the smaller side but 
but if you're a world-class athlete, fighting combat sports, I think, is for you. And, and the more I thought about it, and that's actually what argument my wife and my daughter kind of gave to me, going, well, Dad, we're a, I'm a girl, you know, my daughter. It's like, if I want to be a professional athlete and I want to be in athletics for the rest of my life, as a woman, what else, what better opportunity than fighting? Is that not the premier now sport for a woman opportunities as far as now I can fight on the same level as men? But now I get the same attention recognition where now it's not like I'm not considered a second tier athlete. And I looked at him and was like, actually, you're absolutely right. Because really being a professional softball player, trying to play professional, fo- I mean, uh, I don't want my daughter to play professional football. I've seen what the uh, female leagues look like. <laughs> but uh, it seems right. like it's a phenomenal opportunity. If you're a young lady right now and you want to live a, a life like an athlete, fighting seems to be really, I mean, seems a way to go. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you. You know, um, I, you know, of course, you know, I, I'm a huge fan, and it's the one sport that the women are, are definitely, you know, treated equal in terms of, you know, you train the same, you fight the same, you, you know, same amount of rounds, everything's the same, and I think that it does provide a wealth of opportunity for athletes that are interested in the combat sports. Yeah. This is a sport, you know, that I would look to to be involved in. I 100% agree. Just I'm a little again, too going, old for it now, but... <laughs> well, no, just in going back to other sports, like even soccer. When I saw that, that was another thing that, like, now that I'm going back and looking, I'm like, you're right. Didn't the female soccer players just recently try to sue Fila because they have to win a match to get paid five grand? Now, these are the girls that have already won a World Cup for us. Yeah. The guys' team, who I couldn't name a single guy on the team, and I don't think most people could, but, I mean, just about everybody knows, like, a Hope Solo. You know, there's girls on the girls' team that I know as, as a recreational viewer. The guys' teams get paid 22000 even if they lose. Mm. I was like, wow, they're, they're, yeah. that's not a quality there, and you don't see that in fighting. I mean, Ronda Rousey just made $3 million. I mean, yeah. making more than most Yeah, men. I mean, not only, Shannon, I mean, you know, ladies headlining cards, but we're just talking about training. I mean, now that I think about it from, you know, me, you know, training jujitsu and and being around you know gyms for a number of years now now you train with the ladies i mean everybody yeah. trains together there's not even segregated yeah. training i saw that shift and that yeah. actually really no, surprised me it, go ahead no, it's, it's amazing i mean even look at basketball uh, you know women basketball players versus men what you know the pay differences is you know there's i mean this is the one sport you know and no it's worried you know it's not worried but you know when i started in victor and you know i knew we had a a big hill to climb, mm. you know, so I looked at everything, you know, I, I looked at other sports that were all female and I, I saw some of the names of people that they called them, you know, how they put them in a box and, you know, were, you know, characterize them one way. So I, I always tried to watch and to be careful that, you know, I marketed it and pushed it, you know, in, in a credible way. Like I didn't call them fighters. I always called them female athletes, mm-hmm. you know, different things. And as we continue to go down the road, we have been very fortunate, you know, that we just were never put in a box like that. They've always been accepted as an equal, you yeah. know, and, and I don't exactly know the reasons why it's so different than the other sports, but it definitely is different. How You're do right, because you... it isn't. I've seen other sports like, I mean, if you say tennis right now, Anna Kornikova is probably one of the more famous female tennis players, and I don't think she was ever ranked higher. Someone told me one time, like, she never broke into the top 10. Yeah. But, I mean, because of her looks, Marketab- that marketable was the marketing. personality right And it now. seems like we've been able to avoid that yeah. where only legitimate fighters that are females, too, are looked at. And we don't have any just the hot girl that just happens to be out there bouncing around 
that well, doesn't know what she's doing. You know, Shannon, to right. to, to Frank's kind of the question we were, when we were talking about his his daughter Bella. Um, how do you find the young talent now? I mean, obviously somebody's not turning pro at thirteen, but uh, you know they're getting involved in amateur fights. Do you are you keeping an eye on amateur organizations? Where do where does some of the 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 hot female talent for you? Where do they come from these days? We know all over. I mean, that's the thing is we are looking, you know, we're, we're listening, we're, we're communicating, building relationships and, and not just here in the States, but all over the world. Yeah. I mean, if there's a standout, we want to, we want to know, you know, we want to see, you know, and the big deal about Invicta that I pride us with is that, you know, we're here to help the career along. You know, we don't lock the athletes down and, you know, we do have contracts, of course, mm-hmm. but we give them, you know, our thing is, is that we want to help develop these divisions and help them grow. And, you know, hopefully they moved on to the UFC and, you know, that's the dream. They chase it and, you know, and they get where they want to go. So, yeah, we look uh, everywhere. Young talent is great is, you know, the best thing is that when they come to Invicta, you know, I do everything like the UFC does. So we kind of help prepare them. Well, I, I think one uh, real quality move you guys made, and I, I hope it's worked out well on, the, on the, the business end, but I know just from a fan's perspective, was the move to the UFC Fight Pass platform. Because prior to that, I was I was dedicated enough that I would uh, you know go around and find where Invicta was going to be on pay per view or UStream, you know the different ways I was going to be able to see it. But mm-hmm. it was certainly more challenging than now, which is as a Fight Pass subscriber. And for all for all of our listeners, this will be absolutely free with your Fight Pass pers- uh, subscription on Saturday. I know right where to find it. Not only when you guys are live, but even like uh, in in looking at the card in preparation for talking to you tonight. I want to go back and see some of the other ladies uh you know their previous fights it's all archived right there at fight pass so i know it's been a little while now how has the fight pass relationship worked out for you you know it's been really you know it's been amazing you know i honestly don't have any complaints they've been incredibly supportive uh from day one they've been good you know uh partners in the broadcast distribution side of it and yeah can't complain you know and you know, when I made the decision to, to go on the fight pass, it was to give the athletes the opportunity to be, you know, expose their you know, fans that normally maybe they wouldn't, they wouldn't know about them to have some of that crossover. Mm-hmm. But most of all, is to put them on a platform where UFC athletes were competing. I mean, that seemed to be what every athlete, you know, out there aspired to be was in the UFC. So this was, you know, kind of getting them a step closer. Yeah, you know, I to think, where they wanted to be. I think that's very true. I think people can, uh, you know, I, I, I think especially when I deal with more casual fans, our, you know, some of our listeners may be the more casual fans, the ones who only primarily know the UFC product, Shannon. It's like when they come to Fight Pass, they may come for the UFC, but they'll end up staying for the Invicta or for the Legacy or for the EBI or something. You know, that's their gateway to discover some of these other uh, platforms and organizations. Absolutely. You know, and that's, you know, that was, you know, really the plan was, you know, to help them get the exposure and to help build, you know, under that umbrella, so to speak. Now, I want to ask you, uh, of course, Invicta uh, 21 will be this Saturday from Kansas City. But, Shannon, while we have just another minute with you here, I, I also wanted a, an update on uh, your Bantamweight champion, Tanya Evinger, because real curious circumstance, we are actually talking about it here on uh, Phone Booth Fighting Podcast, uh, I guess a couple of months back when it happened, 
Tanya, who I always enjoy watching. I think Tanya's a real character, and, yeah. and I, she's fun to interview. She's unfiltered. And just a quick side before I get to my question, but I'll tell you, Shannon, she I had an interview with her one time, and she was just very specific about the fact that, you know, she loves Invicta. I mean, she really considers Invicta her home to the point that, you know, she, she wasn't one of those ladies that particularly had her eye on the UFC. She she liked being an Invicta and, and representing what it was all about. So I always enjoy watching her. And she was defending her title uh, a couple of months back and got caught in an arm bar, put her foot on her opponent's head to pry the arm out of it, which is legal. But the referee told her it wasn't legal and she ends up getting submitted. Now that that was overruled to a no contest, right, with a with a, uh, a grievance filed. As a result, she stays the champion. And is there any uh, talk about doing a rematch for her? Well, I'll break some news here. I, I'm not going to, I wasn't officially going to announce this until on Saturday, but yeah, uh, you will, you will definitely see on March 25th, uh, we're going to announce that Tony Avenger will face, uh, you know, in a rematch, Yana. Yana. For that championship again. Kunitskaya, I think is how we pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I'm glad you tried because I'm like, come on, I can't do it. Yeah, well, <laughs> Unless I'm looking at it, it's hard to say. Yes. So, okay, excellent. So that's going to be March 25th? You said yes, it okay. is. Yeah, and and where do you know the venue yet? Yeah, we will be back in Kansas City at the at the shrine. Okay, excellent. Well, Scottish right. I'm sorry, Scottish right. Yeah, we're on uh, phone booth fighting. We'll uh, make sure everybody is aware of that. And uh, I'm excited to hear that uh, one of my favorites, uh, Tanya Evinger, is going to be back. So that's uh, that's good yep, news. The rematch is on. Well, first, yeah. first things first, before we get to that, uh, Invicta FC 21 again this Saturday night on Fight Pass, uh, interim featherweight title fight headlines the card, and uh, I guess we got, what, about uh, seven or eight fights total uh, on the card, so it's going to be a, be a full night of action. And, yeah, we got eight bouts, and it should be, uh, you know, this is a stacked card. There may be some athletes that people you know, are not familiar with, but I promise Tune in. You won't forget it. Uh, com is the website. All right, Shannon, thank you so much uh, for taking time with us, especially staying up so late, and uh, also for playing into our ulterior motive, which is to get you to watch uh, Isabella's uh, demo reel there live that on the awesome. air. I feel like we got the live reaction. <laughs> yeah, that would be a lot more for you. <laughs> that was nice. Yeah, well, no, it was great. It was right, well, great. Shannon, so Shannon, keep us in mind, Frank. Yeah. I will. <laughs> Shannon, best of luck uh, with the card starting tonight. We'll be watching on Fight Pass, and we look forward to seeing you, seeing the, all the action. Well, thanks again. Thanks for having me on. We always appreciate it. All right, Frank. Did you uh, you watched a little bit of the Donald Trump uh, press conference yeah, today, right? Yeah, uh, almost the whole thing there. All right. Uh, I kind of sped through the uh, the lawyer talking. Yes. Yeah. I listened to the first three or four minutes of it, and I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> well, it was originally supposed to be a press conference about what he was going to do to try to uh, avoid perceived conflicts of interest with his business dealings, and uh, that was the original intent when it was booked, but uh, uh, unfortunate timing that, uh, last night, the BuzzFeed article was posted about the um, possible compromising of Trump by Russian intelligence. Now, no other 
news outlet reported on that because they couldn't independently verify the facts. But BuzzFeed went ahead and ran with it, and the word was that there were things embarrassing both professionally and personally in there, professionally having to do with business dealings and with the fact that, according to the report, that uh, Trump representatives may have been in contact with uh, Russian intelligence during the campaign, and then the uh, the the personally embarrassing thing was along the lines of uh, hiring some Russian prostitutes to go pee pee in your uh, hotel room, some golden shower. Yes. So all that leads up to the press. Do you know I was today. there in Russia at that time in the room? Well, at the no, time, the room. I'd have a better oh. story for you, Man, but I was there story. for a fights legend. I yeah. was there. It was me. Do you know Verdum, yeah, and we were hanging out for a week, you know, uh, and during the time that that hotel had the uh, the the Miss America, John Jones, I think, ended up showing up there, uh huh, and so we all went to the fights and stuff. Uh, so it's kind of funny when I see that, I'm like, holy shit, I was there during that time, boy, and all that, and then somehow you missed the real party upstairs. <laughs> Probably a very good thing I missed the party. <laughs> you know, there was cameras in that room. <laughs> you know, you know, if you had been there, you know what Trump would have said? He would have said. I was in the room with Frank Mir, great guy, great guy. You guys know I'm champion. You guys know you watch the UFC. Heck of a guy, Frank Mir. Anyway, the prostitutes were peeing. It would have been something like that. But he would have given you credit. He would have said you're a great guy. That, and that's not really my thing. So. Right, right. Well, <laughs> and, and, and really, is the story substantiated? No, I mean, is it not true? at all? Not at all. I mean, I don't know. It's no, it's not substantiated at all. And that, so, that, like, that's as far as it, our intelligence going out there, oh, that part. But I mean, th- what part of any of this information is yeah. actually real? Well, okay. So, so here's here's what you can say is is legit enough. The intelligence agencies briefed Trump on this. And and Obama too, for that matter. Um, they they're not saying it happened. They're just saying, hey, this we do believe that the Russians have this information, and they may be trying to use it. Whether or not it actually happened, that's de- debatable, and we're not saying that. But when they say that, like we believe, but mm-hmm. how do you not believe? How do you not know? When it comes to the computer, it's like, look, IP address out of Russia. Well, you know, like, because it's human intelligence. So what happens is, for example, this particular intel came through uh, that MI6, which is the, I guess, the British spy yeah, agency. James Bond guy, yeah. right? And so that came through somebody that was with them, gave the information to John McCain, and McCain gave it to the, uh, the I think, the CIA, or the intelligence, one of the intelligence agencies. And so... FBI. And so uh, it was basically, it's human intelligence, but it was intelligence that has worked for them before. Like it was okay. like a known source. So enough that. So again, it was we're not going off of. Them. We're not going off of address hardcore. Hey, this signal came from here. We're going off of this guy knows that this guy said that they're hacking and, and that's how we Well, the, the hacking they're confident in. The hacking they're saying, yep, that's the Russians that did that. And in fact, today in the press conference. Now when they Trump, say the Russians, I mean. That's like if right now I go and I go hack some website in Australia, mm-hmm. Australia can say, well, the America's hacking us. It's like, well, no, an American or an American company or U.S. company is, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the U.S. A, government. Y- yes. I mean, was it Russia's government that hacked us or well, was it just a Russian cyber you know, criminal? What it was was the hack had a code on it that had been previously associated with government sanctioned hacking. So it's kind of like a 
like a thumbprint. Okay. You know, so I think it, it seems to, because even Trump today said, well, you know, I think it's Russia, but it could have been some other people. You know, he very quickly sort of qualified it, but even he admitted today, okay, it was Russia, you know, the, with the hack, and then sort of pivoted to, but look at how much good information we got out of it, which is an interesting defense. But it, the the who's responsible for the hacking didn't seem to be uh in in uh up for debate what was what was in question was whether or not trump himself had actually been compromised by the russians because uh according to the buzzfeed story what it looks like happened is that the russians got information on both candidates clinton and trump uh in the fall and they chose to only push the information against Clinton because they made a decision that they wanted to try to sway the election for Trump. Okay. Didn't doesn't mean they didn't have the info on Trump. It meant that if he got elected, then they could have a little something on him to maybe hold over him. Uh, that's the working theory. Now that had not been independently confirmed by any news agency. So nobody was reporting on it. Buzzfeed just posted it. CNN reported late last night that, Trump had been briefed on this intel. That's all they were reporting. They were saying, we believe that Trump was briefed on this intel, but they didn't even link to like the BuzzFeed story or anything like that. They so, didn't spread the golden shower shit. Oh, no. No, you, you, you had to know where to go. To, you, you had to be on like uh, Patton Oswalt's uh, Twitter feed. Like, he was on fire last night with the pee jokes at about 3 a.m. I didn't get much sleep because I was entertaining myself. <laughs> I think you texted me about 3 a.m. Yes, I did. Uh, I woke up this morning and I'm like looking. I'm sorry. Like, at first, I'm like, oh, shit. I wonder if everything's okay because you're not normal. Yeah. Text me at three in the morning, you know. I'm like, oh, okay. You know what happened? It was the worst scenario because I had fallen asleep and I just kind of woke up, you know, and I was about to go back to sleep. I just happened to kind of look at the headline and I was like, oh no, now I got to get all into this. Like, I got to gotta read up, I got to figure out what's going on. So that kept me almost the night. But, but so to the press conference today, Trump was and talked about the, you know, the, the business dealings and, Basically saying, you know, he's just he's going to give the business to the kids. The two sons are going to run it. He had a company come out, fill out paperwork that makes it to where he is no longer able to control his business dealings. They're going to control it. And he promises that he won't talk to them about what's going on in the business. Now, that's a far cry from a blind trust. But because the president is technically exempt from conflicts of interest or being he's exempt from being sued in in uh, criminal or being criminally charged with conflicts of interest. That doesn't mean the perception can't still be there. And he is uh, exempted by the Constitution of taking in any money from a foreign government in any way. So that's going to create problems either with the hotel that he's got or, you know, loans from foreign banks, things like that. Now, he's saying that with the hotel, that if uh, uh, a foreign head of state stayed there, for example, that he will just give that money to the U.S. Treasury. But a lot of the, there's still going to be a lot of issues of conflicts of interest with him, no, I mean, obviously. I don't think, I mean, not since, shit, what, Rockefeller was a vice president? Have we had somebody who's been this entrenched in the business mm-hmm. yeah. hold this high of office? That is very true. The problem is you would think that to counterbalance that, you would also want to be the most transparent guy. 
and we're we're getting. Well, I mean, a businessman. It's kind of hard to be completely transparent with all those business dealings. Well, unless you want to be president. I mean, the thing is, is that well, he is you, president already, and he didn't become. I can see where he was voted in mm-hmm. without having to relinquish his uh, tax, tax forms, returns. Tax returns. Yeah. Why do it now? Well, I, well, I'll tell you why. Because you said you were going to. Now, he may say today, as he did, you know, no one cares about the tax returns. Only the media cares about it. Here's the problem. He said during the campaign that the tax returns will be released when the audit is over. Just like he said that the six women that accused him of groping them will all be sued. Just like he said that the wall's going to be built and, and Mexico's going to pay for it. I mean, okay, I'm taking you at your word. I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a chance to succeed. But don't not do those things if you told if you ran on them and you told me you were going to yeah. do them. So those are the things that I'm looking for um, at this point. Now I thought I thought what was kind of more interesting than all that was the fact that he came out and initially or you know right away immediately um, focused on attacking the the intelligence community. It was a two-pronged approach. It was the intelligence community could possibly have leaked this information. And secondly, the press is in cahoots with them, you know, the dishonest press. And I'm going to tell you, if somebody hasn't really followed politics up to this point, maybe they don't know that any of this is particularly unusual. But I'm telling you, this is very unusual. I, this, is, this is a different thing that's happening right now. And I didn't, you know, I was, when Watergate happened, I was like three, so I don't remember it. Um, but the first president I remember is Ford. But I learned a lot about it after the fact, you know. And a real hallmark of the Nixon era, you know, scandal, uh, Watergate saga was targeting the press, distrust of the press. To the point that today, Donald Trump said he, he uh had made several pointed references to CNN and he was lumping CNN with in with Buzzfeed and inferring that, you know, they had leaked this, you know, completely fabricated story. So at one point, uh, the CNN white house correspondent gets up and says, you know, if you're going to continue to attack us by name, my agency, we should get a question. Will you give us a question? Let me ask a question. Trump saying, no, 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 I will not. They're shouting over each other. You will not get any questions. And then Trump says, you are fake news. He calls CNN fake news. I think that's pretty dangerous stuff. Because fake news is like Pizzagate, like what we were talking about. I mean, these outlandishly made-up, absurd stories. He knows better than that, uh, to call them fake news. But the problem is, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't know any better than that. And they're going to hear him say it, and they're going to believe it because he said it. And I'm telling you, the press, and it doesn't matter who's in office, whether you voted for him, didn't vote for him, whatever. The, The reason we know that we have had presidents in the past who were embroiled in scandal from Richard Nixon to, you know, William McKinley and Teapot Dome and all the rest of that is because of the press. It's not like these guys had guilty consciences and all of a sudden completely of their own volition admitted, oh, my God, I'm a crook. It was because the press brought them down. And free press in this country is very, very important. So, I think it's the kind of thing where whether you're, you know, Trump supporter or not, whatever, 
that you have to stand behind the idea of a free press. And if somebody like that is going to get shut down and he's going to try to pick and choose who he takes questions from, it should be, in my opinion, an obligation of the next reporter from the next agency to ask that same question. Can't disagree with it. You know? What about on the positive side? Did, what, do I, what do I think came out of it that was positive? Yeah. Did I think you like how the Trump? Um, you know, I think that, well, first of all, that we're, that we're hearing him at all. Uh, you know, we, he's given a press conference in six months. This is something he's... He, well, any of the things he said, like, I mean, the, the jobs, he talked about the Mexico, the car deal issue coming up, Fiat Chrysler. I mean, another thing I thought you would be very happy about was he called out Big Pharma, you know, the pharmacies. There you uh, go. That one. Uh, you know what? Of, of anything that he talked about, where he talks about not negotiating properly uh, for, uh, uh, yeah, for, I mean, for the drugs. We're the biggest buyer of uh, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. How are we not doing better business? And which... There's two things that you know that I bring to point. In its entirety, everybody has shitty things. And if you're just looking for the shittiness in them, you can find it. I, I could sit here if I want to, like, well, you know, the email hacks, right? Got brought mm-hmm. up that you know Clinton had the answers or the, or the questions to the debate beforehand. Right. Well, I mean, I could sit there and focus on all that and not focus on any of the positives that she could have occurred and same with uh you know trump there's obviously some negative stuff if you want to focus on you can but uh two things i i, I like is going back to where i know people don't like that but the fact that he understands business and i feel like that the business dealings with us in other countries having somebody that knows the ins and outs and understands that and seems to be a very good businessman i think is a positive and the fact that he does have a huge ego I mean, he doesn't like to look stupid, doesn't want to be bad. So I think, I mean, you just follow his Twitter and you can see that the guy wants to, you know, be uh, looked at with respect. Mm. Don't you think that is an incentive to be a good president? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the, the big pharma point, and that's a good one. That's one I had forgotten about. But, uh, you know, because that was something that was really uh, made a whole lot worse with uh, George W. Bush and and Medicare Part D and that whole prescription drug fiasco because the government was not allowed to negotiate for lower drug prices. So, yes, that is a a very good point. Uh, To your latter point, though... in theory, yes. I mean, you want, but there's a difference between confidence and arrogance, I think. And other, just the same way that there's a difference between not wanting to look stupid and not knowing when you do look stupid. Because I'll, I'll tell you this. He act, he said today that if he wanted to, and he's not going to, but he certainly could if he wanted to, he would do a fantastic job, you know, his words, of being president and continuing to run Trump Industries. That's absurd. I, I would never want to hear a president say, you know what? I think I'm going to have time for a second job. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the confidence, okay. But to me, I think that is really not having any idea of what you're really in for with this situation. And then, you know, if the idea was to, and this, if I were advising him, I would say this. Listen, keep in mind, Mr. President-elect, 
that the objective of today's uh, press conference is to make everybody feel better about all these, you know, business dealings you got. I mean, it's unprecedented. Like you said yourself, Frank, it's, you know, no one's ever had this much to try to explain and untangle. So just, you know, get out there, make everybody feel better about that. Well, the ego that you just referenced would not let him get through this news conference without pointing out, you know, just last week, I was offered a $2 billion deal yeah, Dubai in thing. Dubai. Yeah. Could have done it. Could have done it. Nothing legally stopping me from doing it. My lawyers have explained it to me. But I didn't do it. But I could have done it. And if I would have done it, it would have been a fantastic deal. It would have been the biggest deal. You're not really doing it. It's like, it's like your girlfriend coming to you going, somebody offered me $2 billion to blow them today. I didn't do it. No, I didn't do it. Could have done it. Didn't do it, but just want you to know that if I had done it, it would have been the best blowjob ever. That doesn't really instill in confidence. You know what I mean? You know, you're that's that's not the kind well, of thing you want to hear when you're but trying he did to turn it down. Yes, but <laughs> I mean the only reason why he turned it down is because he's the POTUS. Or yeah, the but I think what he's also doing is inadvertently highlighting the kinds of potential conflicts that are going to be presented to him on a regular basis. Um, I'm not saying, you know, by not explaining it that it but didn't he happen. he did highlight it and showed how he handled it. Yeah. I mean, $2 billion, even to Donald Trump, is still a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, sit there and said, hey, I didn't do it. And it's like, ah. Oh. I mean, granted, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's bad. But the equivalent, if I sit there and go, hey, you know, uh, Mrs. Mayor, you know, honey, uh, three young, hot playmates tried to pull me out and, you know, they wanted to have their way with me and I turned them down. I guess you can not tell her, but in, in a sense, it's like, hey, look what I had the opportunity to do, and I chose not to. Now, I know for being married for as long as I have, that conversation is going to go shitty. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fighting, but you can see where I thought that it was going to be like, hey, I turned this down. But you know what? Maybe if you had been married three times and divorced twice, you wouldn't know better, and you would say it. <laughs> now, imagine you're giving a press conference and saying it to the American public. Yeah. <laughs> That's a closer. All right. Let's uh, tell everybody, Frank, how to follow us on uh, social media. I'll start. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Richard Hunter. Facebook is official Richard Hunter. Frank is uh, very similar on Facebook. Uh, official Frank Mir. Twitter and Instagram is the Frank Mir. And for the show, for phone booth fighting, how the heck am I going to find this uh, show on social media? Well, as always, Facebook and Instagram, the full phone booth fighting will be there. And then if uh, you go on Snapchat or Twitter, it's going to just be phone booth fight. That's it. Uh, you can, of course, leave those five-star reviews on iTunes. You can buy our merchandise at phoneboothfightingshop.com. But the uh, number one thing you can do for us above and beyond anything else, and it's absolutely free to do, is what, Frank? Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Help us grow this thing. Tell a friend about phone booth fighting. Uh, we see that more and more of you are doing that every week, and that's Positive making our gossip. download numbers go uh, way up, and we really, really appreciate it. We will not it. be mad at you for leaking this information. No, we will not. No, <laughs> leaks are encouraged here at uh, phone booth fighting. And, of course, the Amazon banner at the top of our phone booth fighting Facebook page. Just click through there and do your Amazon shopping. You support the show that way as well. Thanks to Shannon Knapp from uh, Invicta for being a part of this show tonight. And also UFC featherweight Yair Rodriguez. For Frank Mayer, I'm Richard Hunter, and we'll see you next time on Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was
I need the number three because that's what I trim my genital hairs with. 